As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. We have a very special guest today. And not just because he's been nice enough not to highlight me on his feed very often. Fred Siegel, the man behind the old takes exposed, freezing cold takes Twitter feed. He's got a book out now, freezing cold takes the NFL. And Fred, this is just marvelous. Just unbelievable because your feed is incredible because you call out all these hot take artists who just believe so strongly in something that is completely idiotic. But now you've gone back into history and found some of the worst takes in the world. Yeah, um, I, that this was the most fun thing I've done with the feed because I was able, I mean, that has a relation to the feed. It's not an extension of the feed. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's just because I was able to do research. I have a lawyer background. I was a lawyer for eight years. I used to research a lot of things I did not enjoy researching, but I enjoyed researching. And uh, this was just like a, the greatest time researching for me. Um, and I just, it was something that I had enjoyed doing pretty much the whole time I was doing it. It took me two years. I, I'm just I'm just laughing my butt off as I'm reading it. Like people ripping the Patriots hiring Bill Belichick as the head coach, people ripping uh, the Packers signing Reggie White, like there's, there's a bunch of who needs Reggie White takes yeah. out there. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Reggie White was going to sign a huge contract. He was the first free agent, like the first unrestricted free agent the NFL ever had, like the big one. He went on a tour, like a 12 team tour, where they all lavished him with gifts. And unlike college football, he was they were allowed to discuss what gifts he got. Yeah, uh, he got mink. His wife got mink coats. He got, and uh, no one could understand why you'd pay that much money to one player. And it wasn't even that much money compared to now. Oh yeah, yeah. And then obviously his Packers career bore out why he was was paid yeah. that. But that's true. I mean, the Eagles themselves thought that he was kind of washed up relative to what he was asking for. So exactly, it's it's incredible. And and it, it, I just. I had not thought about some of these situations like the one your second chapter is is all about people wanting 
Dan Marino traded so that Scott Mitchell could start for the Dolphins. <laughs> and I remember that as a kid. I was, uh, you know, I I was a Dolphins fan growing up. We lived in the Keys for four years when I was in elementary school. I was in Orlando at the time all of this was going on. So, like, I remember that vividly, but I had forgotten the drumbeat for Scott Mitchell as the <laughs> Dolphins starter. Yeah. The, the funny thing that that's an interesting highlight because I, I was I grew up in North Miami. I grew up about ten minutes from the stadium. I was a Dolphin season ticket holder. I remember it completely. That's how I knew about that take. I probably wouldn't be able to thought about it to write about it if I didn't know about. It. We talked about it for years, but at the time, you know, Dan Reno got hurt. It was the first time he was ever hurt um, for a long period. It was his tenth season. He tore his Achilles. Scott Mitchell came in. He was the backup quarterback. And he had three great games. And it, was, it wasn't that big of a drumbeat amongst the fans. It was one guy, Greg Cody, from the Miami Herald. He wrote the article. Who's a podcasting star now with the Dan Levitard show. He had me on his podcast to talk about that uh, a couple weeks ago, um, to talk about this particular thing. I talked to him about it for the book. He's interviewed in the book. Um, but he... He's the one who brought it up. But at the time, it was such a big deal that he did that. Now, if Scott Mitchell would have done the same thing in this time period, there would have been at least four tweets about trading Marino to keep Scott Mitchell. And Stephen A. Smith and Nick Wright would all be discussing it on Monday morning on their show. Oh, it's, it's the and A it would, block. It would, of- just, it would just fly through. Two days later, no one would remember it. But this would... <laughs> Such a big deal when he did that. It never happened. It, it is amazing. But now I've known you for a while, and I know that your 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 true passion is college football. So I am I am ready for the college football book. I will give you a freebie because this is and and I, I I actually every time I see one of your tweets, I think thank God he had not started doing this feed when this came out because oh. this would have been. So here we go. The prediction cover of Sports Illustrated heading into the the Oregon-Ohio State national title game. (laughs) Ducks 45, Bucks 41. Why Oregon will own the first playoff by Andy Staples. So here's the backstory on this. They didn't want a a big story leading into the game uh, because of the production schedule. Uh, There was a a really meaty Gronk feature that Pete Thamel had written that was going. There was a John Elway story. And... So I did some kind of capsule stuff that was going to run in the magazine and we left the meteor stuff on the website and like, right. I think it was Sunday and and they kind of closed things on Monday. I get an email saying, Hey, we need a score prediction from you for the national title game. And I'm like, I don't really feel that strongly about this. I don't know. I just watched Oregon kick the crap out of Florida state in the, in the Rose bowl, maybe Ohio state, you know, they, they're still, they're still playing their third string guy. Oregon's got the Heisman Trophy winner. Okay, I, I'm going to go with Oregon for this, but I'm going to I'm going to make it close because I don't feel very strongly about this. That got thrown back in my face during and after that game, so many times. Well, when it, but well, no, by the by the fans. Well, by and, the and the fans, thing is, yeah, like I had no idea. I thought they were going to put it inside, just um, in these capsules in the magazine. They put it on a freaking cover of Sports Illustrated. Like the just cover comes out. I'm like, you what have you done? Did you even write about it in the in the in the in the? Did you write a column on it in the magazine? Not in the magazine because I had to do the game story off the national title game. So that was that was a like a reported just, feature on Ohio your, State. Like, email just your email to the editor saying forty five forty one. 
That was the cover. <laughs> yes. That was it. And I'm like, why did you put that on the cover? What are you doing? With your name. But, but yeah, now, and then I'll, I'll give you another one because this is, uh, and this is one that, you, you know, I, I, you, I know you had a field day with uh, last year. I, I don't, and, but because you've created a cottage industry under yourselves, now the teams want to want to piggyback oh, on yeah, it. So yeah. they like to do I that may, to bring attention to their feed. Yes, this this show made the Alabama pregame hype video before the SEC title game. <laughs> Alabama hasn't been this big an underdog in 13 years. I got to tell you, the tide is about to roll right into a big old brick wall. I expect to see Georgia whip Alabama because I don't think Alabama's that good. I'm worried about team. Alabama scoring. The matchup is as bad for Alabama as you could possibly imagine. I think Georgia wins. I think Georgia wins by double digits, and I honestly don't even think it's going to be very competitive. They're not going to beat Georgia. Well, you guys nailed it for the national yes! championship game. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is I went back on that because me and Ari did a bit after that, after that, actually on that night where I, I made us swear that we would never pick against Nick Saban again. Oh yeah, is that what I is that what I posted? Uh, uh, no, I, you, you, I think you probably posted that because then I like Ari went back on it and picked Georgia in the national title game, and then I didn't. I picked Alabama right. because I was keeping my pledge, even though I I had predicted Georgia preseason to win the national title. I did think Georgia was going to win, but I, I wasn't going against my word again after I got I got burned. It was like, um, but I don't understand how everyone was writing Georgia off after that game. You no, it, I did a story. Heavily favored over Michigan, and they were going to yep. play Alabama again. And I don't understand why it was so obvious that they would win. Automatically, Alabama would win again. Um, well, it, 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 and then if you watch, like I, I did a story on, on Georgia's defense going into the national title game. And I, I, I rewatched their defense against Alabama and their defense against Michigan, and then watched what some of the other teams had done to beat Alabama. I was like, oh, Georgia was just playing vanilla in the first game, just in case right. they didn't need to show anything. And they're gonna they're gonna bring out the whole bag of tricks <laughs> in the yeah. national and they did. Right. They, they were the better team. It was clear. And even it was like first for the first half of that game, it looked like the SEC game, it looked like they were the better team. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was really only two quarters. Alabama played him. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. But but these things live forever. And I thought I, I appreciate that Alabama thought of me enough to to put me in there with uh with Skip Bayless on uh, the yeah. uh, on the hype video. So, <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah, that's a good one because I mean, do you have these clips on your feed of you, uh, or was that from Feinbaum or something? That that was Alabama's pregame hype video. Well, remember, your clip. That they showed, oh yeah, yeah, and we've got that clip on the feed, and we we did, you know, Usually we referenced it. They're easy to find. Like you'll find the they'll post Fox Sports One will post that Bayless clip like three times a day when he said it. Yeah. So it's easy to find. That's the ones that they're picking to use for the clip. Um, well, I would, Barrett, I said the one with Barrett was definitely all over CBS Sports. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I, I want to ask you about that because as you've evolved with the feed. You've been very cl clear that you're not going to just, or or you're rationing yourself on certain people oh, yeah. because their jobs are hot takes, and they don't always believe what they're saying. 
Like, how do you how do you figure out, okay, this is a person I need to highlight? Because it feels like it's when they truly believe it that right. it makes it funny. Well, I feel like, okay, one of the things that I try not to flame occasionally, if it's really funny, I'll do it. Or if the person was being so obnoxious that I don't care about how they feel about uh, retweeting it, I don't really use fans. Like, I don't want them right. to get browbeat. Um, but if the person has a blue check, that means that they are someone I feel that has put themselves in a position where they should be able to have ability to withstand this type or should expect it. In yes. some way. So that, that right there, if you have a blue check, I could use your stuff, no matter what, I don't care what you're in. Now, I mean, I have a strict no politics rule, but I have not, it's about, it's, it's when, when the, it's about the subject matter. I'll, right. I would be happy to use politicians if their tweet was solely about the sport or a prediction. So like any politician, anybody, just anybody like that I'll use no matter what. But, um, but guys on TV who, who really want attention, I'm not going to use them all the time, even though I get tagged to them and endlessly uh, because it's just like, you're giving them exactly what they want. Plus it's, there's a genuine factor there. Like oh, yeah. uh, you want them to be at least somewhat genuine with what they're doing. And I understand TV and radio. And I understand that you have to talk about the big topics and you have to, even if you genuinely believe something, you have to say it in a way and maybe in a way where you've enhanced your opinion a little bit just to make it sound interesting so people will listen to you. And I get that. But there are some people who do, do it solely because this, they don't, their predictions are based on what will get reaction, nothing mm -hmm. of what they believe. Right. And, and I feel like you can usually tell. And like like the the me predicting Georgia to beat Alabama in the SEC, I believe that wholeheartedly. Like there was no right showmanship there because if we had it, I would have picked one side and Ari would have picked the other, and we would argued about it. But we both believe that Georgia would win, so that's what we went with. Right. And yeah. it's 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 just amazing. Now I I've also created a rule for myself because of you. You know, most people have a never tweet when you're drinking rule, which I think is a very very <laughs> sound policy. But I have a, a never tweet in the first quarter rule because no, of you. Very good rule. Uh, yeah, I, the first quarter, I, I, in a big game, I am, I always highlight, I mean, the bookmark in the first quarter. If a team goes up 14 nothing, I immediately start bookmarking anything on my feed that it's just like my first instinct about anything. Even if the team looks like they're going to blow them out, I still do it anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah, the first quarter is a great part, especially for a team that's, that's universally great and expected to win. A good example of that is, um, or maybe first half rule was Alabama 2014 playoff against Ohio State. Oh, yeah. 21-10 or 21-3. There was a touchdown to go up 21-3, and immediately there was the – especially when you're yeah. playing against Urban Meyer, you get the pizza post, the hospital automatically, and spend time with family. Um, like <laughs> – quotes about Urban Meyer. That one was one of those ones that you just like uh, immediately it's like Alabama's outmatched, Ohio State's outmatched. You know, it's that type of thing. And and of course we know what happens. Ezekiel Elliott right. runs wild in the second half. Mm -hmm. And it, it is, I do love the confidence that some people come out with in the first, the, well the basketball title game this year was a prime example. There was yeah. no way Kansas was, was coming back. 
That was a great one. Basketball tie game was a perfect uh, uh, bookmark game. And also um, uh, at the time, the Baylor, the Baylor game was starting to be a bookmark game, but um, it was a bookmark at the end of that. Baylor came back against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. They, North Carolina lost their best player. Like he, he got kicked out of the game or fouled out or ejected. And um, uh, Baylor came back. And then when it got to overtime, right before overtime, 10,000 tweets about how North Carolina will never come back. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What has been your, uh, other than that Alabama-Ohio State game, what has been your favorite college football game in terms of, of the takes? Ooh, there's, there's some great games I could think of. Um, Hmm. Uh, Alabama, Clemson, whatever game Clemson won was a good one. Oh yeah. I mean, Clemson went up. I mean, Alabama went up early in that game. Mm-hmm. Pretty early, but it was first quarter type early. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, that I can off the top of my head. I can't let's think, uh, uh mid game. Oh, I don't know. There's games. I, there's probably games. There's many games in college football where, and it, and one example of NFL, it's like a, the the end of game factor, like where, mm-hmm. like the NFL game is the perfect example. Of this I can remember right away. This is the AFC divisional round game last year between the Bills and the Chiefs. When Josh, oh my god, yeah, that flipped eight times. Seconds left. Okay. Yeah. Real time, just like like quick, quick. Something happens, and, and in college football, especially with the clock, um, where you where the clock stops after the first down, you have no business tweeting that a game is over when there's twenty sec when there's more than twenty seconds left. Um, so <laughs> that type of thing happens in college football a lot. Now, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember it, but because there's so many games like that. Well, I was thinking somebody tagged uh, something I tweeted last year at the the Clemson NC State game because I said, you know, regardless of what's going to happen, NC State's going to cover because I think the the spread was like Clemson by three or something like that. NC State ended up winning outright. But within a second, somebody tags you and says, uh, Clemson scores here and then pick Clemson pick six, Clemson covers. I'm like, no, stop, (laughs) just stop. Yeah, that type of thing. Oh, yeah, with the betting. I don't usually do betting that much, but if that happens, definitely. definitely. Yeah, it, it would have been – yeah, we would have been all over Van Pelt as well on, on the Bad Beats segment. Oh, so. yeah, right, exactly. It, that had a perfect Bad Beat. 
Perfect bad so yeah. How did you get started in this? I know you were you were working on several different try you know funny Twitter feeds. Yeah. And it took a while to hit on the right concept. What were some of the the earlier ones that that maybe didn't take off? Uh, one was a spell check. <laughs> uh, a spell check. One was a grammar check. One was a sarcastic. Like I, I pretended to be this guy who didn't get sarcasm. <laughs> I just reply like to the most sarcastic comment, obvious sarcastic comment, but like it was, I was serious. Uh, but none of them, even doing this. Like none of those I expected to be anyone to follow it, to be big. I was just doing it to have fun. And I had yeah. been doing that for like um, five years. Like I, one of them I made, I had a, of my friend, I had an account that was a parody of my friend. So like, and then I moved it to this. The next one was freezing cold takes because I kept seeing sports media reposting their accurate predictions. Ah. And messages. So I said to myself, someone should be the person to repost them and quotes where some of them turned out to be wrong. And I became that person. And one of the, and when I started it, my friend, John, his name is John Zaslow. He's a, um, I grew up with him. He has a radio show. He was doing mornings in Miami on 790. And he's like, this is cool. I'm going to talk about it on my show. So we talked about it on the show. And then I got, and that next day, I went from like 12 followers, my friends and family, to like 200. Yeah, and then, I, I think I was following it within a week or two of it launching. Yeah, and yeah. then a guy, and then a guy from Sacramento picked it up, and then he added like 300. So then I then I had a decent base of like 500, and then someone from New York, Michael K. Show, did it. I oh yeah, know. and then it got to a thousand, and then SportsIllustrated.com wrote about it, and then it was 25,000. Right after that, so that's yeah. that was how it happened, and then it became it's, like everybody tagging. It is it is amazing, and and yeah. you, it was a necessary thing. It was something that didn't exist that needed to exist, and I think that's what that's what makes it so great. Because like it doesn't bother me if if you point out that I was wrong on the internet. Like I'm everything I write or say, it, it winds up on the internet, and I'm gonna be wrong. Like just ask my wife. So, like, that doesn't bother me. But there, there, I have colleagues that like it really gets under their oh, yeah. skin when you point I, I out they were wrong. I can't even imagine the Slack chats that oh. crap that's talked about me in the Slack chats, and uh, and um, that's why I always figure that that, that all the the hatred toward they I, you guys hate more now. What's annoys you guys, and it, and it comes back to me, but is you guys hate when people tag you about anything, even if it's not even a prediction. You just like say, uh, "This is gonna like uh, I'm excited for this game." Yeah, that's yeah, sad. I, that well, I, no matter what happens in the game, you were excited for it. I don't think they. I think some people when they tag you don't understand the concept what the, of the criteria are. But the the way I look at it is, if you have a a fervent passionate bold take about something that you seem to actually believe you're fair game now yeah. my guy dan wolkin's like a gold mine for you because and, <laughs> and it's funny because when when skip bayless left espn i texted some executives at espn i said you need to hire dan because <laughs> unlike the people on most of your shows he actually believes every single thing he's, he has a take about dan gets a lot a lot i oh mean that guy gets so much crap but the thing about him, um, he does not 
tailor anything to anybody. He no. knows exactly how he feels, and he knows he's going to get killed, and he knows he's going to get 20 gazillion people writing under him how big of an asshole he is, and he'll still do it anyway. Um, so he's very, very firm on what he believes and does not care. And I do believe that there's a lot of journalists who are worried about what people are going to write under their thing, and they don't say it anyway. But yeah, you have to you have to be able to let the comments go. And yeah. and I've gotten better about that over the years. I, I still you still some of them hit hit wrong, but I have yeah, this conversation. I, after I posted a lot of Kyler Murray ones, I found yours. And I didn't post it because I'd already used up my quota at that time. Oh, what was it? A, was it he's always gonna play you baseball very, one? You were very you were very adamant that you would make more money in baseball. I mean, I well, think this is, he would yeah, make more money in baseball, but he liked football better. <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, I don't think it, it's a tough sell now because look, you have Kyler Murray. He, he's already made like with guaranteed money that he's going to make, he yeah. is going to make at least 260 or $220 million. How many first round picks in major league baseball? What percentage makes that over their career? I would say 1%. But what percentage of football ones do? Well, but he's already made it. So, like when people yeah. say, when people say he's going to regret the decision or he would have made more in baseball, now the odds are completely against. Yeah, him. but he's when, when I cut. said it, I was playing the math because all oh, you yeah. had to do is be relatively good. Like if you were a top half of the league outfielder, you're going to make just because of the way MLB salary structures yeah. work and they don't have a salary cap, you're going to make an obscene amount of money. Yeah, and hundred million. Yeah. So. Uh, Right, but, but, you, but even so, there's so many outfielders. So right. there's so many tenth round picks who never, who barely made it up to the big league. Well, and also in 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 my case, I had just done a big story on Kyler at Oklahoma in November, and like talking to the people around him, they still had not turned to he's going to the NFL yet. Right, like it was it was he is going to play baseball, and so I was still kind of in that mindset of okay his advice that he's getting is still go play baseball, go play baseball. And now I, I could tell from talking to him that he liked football better. Right. But it, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was so much that he'd say, screw it. This, this may be a riskier proposition, but I'm going to do it. Oh uh, yeah. But, Probably baseball was like secondary to him his whole life. I mean, I, yeah, I would think so. And, and he just, he's just really good at it. And it was a thing that you're really good at, and people say you need to be doing. So well, now the, the quarterback uh, doing a, it's very futile to do to decide who's going to be a top quarterback pick before the season starts in college football. But like oh, the season starts in college football in September, and the draft is in April. I mean, pick, see, at saying who's going to be the top draft quarterbacks is like futile because it changes on a drop of a dime. Like Joe Burrow mm -hmm. and, uh, yep. and you know Cody Pickett. And like none of those guys, yeah. all afterthoughts. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody going into last season would have thought Kenny Pickett would have been a first round pick. Yeah. Joe Burrow was projected as a sixth round pick going into 2019. Joe Burrow was a serviceable quarterback that the previous season. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, he, he was not, he was unspectacular. But what, what's interesting. So in, you have a chapter in your book about Steve Young yeah. and what you dug into that, that I thought was fascinating is there were a lot of takes about Steve Young versus Joe Montana, which obviously that was going to create a debate. But when Steve Young, he, he plays in the USFL and plays well, USFL is about to fold. So he goes to the NFL 
and is with the Buccaneers and they're terrible and he's not good. But Bill Walsh is like, no, I know this guy's good. And Mike Holmgren was his quarterback's coach in college. And that was Bill Walsh's offensive coordinator. He's like, no, I know he's good. So, you know, a lot of it is situational too. Well, yeah. And in that circumstance, you'll never have a quarterback rivalry like that again. I mean, like, because there was no free agency. So, um, I mean, now if if a backup quarterback has a great one great game, he's going to be getting a big contract somewhere else. You can't keep two amazing quarterbacks on your roster for more than a year in NFL. So that's not going to happen anymore. But um, yeah, it's very situational. But just like back then, just like now, it's, it's all recency stuff. Like mm-hmm. Steve Young played great in one game where Joe Montana was hurt. He was hurt a lot. So Steve Young got to play good. And then, then people were talking about Young. But then Young, he had trouble sometimes closing out games. And that was Montana's specialty. So it was automatically assumed he can't close out any games. Uh, and it just went back and forth. But the one thing that stayed certain is that the, the city of San Francisco wanted Montana. Mon- yeah. the, the crazy thing about that was Mon- Young was coming off an MVP in 1992. Montana hadn't played in two years. He hadn't played – well, he hadn't started a game in two years because he right. was hurt. And Montana, Young played 1991 and 1992. And in 1992, he had an MVP season. He was the best quarterback in the NFL. The 49ers were the best team in the NFL in the regular season. And after all that, they lost to the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game where Jimmy Johnson said, how about them Cowboys in the locker room. But then – after the season was over, Montana was 38. He was a broken man. There was He had absolutely yeah. no chance of playing a full season. And everybody in San Francisco wanted Montana. <laughs> you had a young quarterback who was the best quarterback in the league, the best prospect in the league, <laughs> who was doing amazing things, and they all wanted Montana. Who was broken. Well, and, and, and that era produced some incredible hot takes because there, there weren't the debate shows, you know? Right. Uh, Kornheiser and Wilbon had not pioneered that concept yet. That didn't exist. You had like, you know, the sports reporters on TV that were in some of the Northeast markets, but it, that was a more calm conversation. So this didn't exist. So so where hot takes happened back then was down the left side of your sports section. Yep. 800 word column. It was an incredible racket. Basically, you, you got paid to write three or four of these 800 word columns a week. And like if you were in a big city, you were paid really well. Like you were into the the mid six figures if you were at the LA Times or the one of the San Francisco papers or the New York papers. And it's just amazing to me that the one upsmanship with the with the takes. And and that's probably my favorite part of your book is reading some of those like old Lupica takes. Or oh, yeah, Lupica. He was he didn't like Reggie White either. Well, he just was like, why is everyone wanting him so much? Yeah. Why is this important? <laughs> it's like Tell me you don't know anything about football without telling me you don't know anything about football. <laughs> well, it was. But a, a great example of that, like, was just before the hot take era. I mean, uh, part of my take was around at the time, but there was no Skip Bayless first take yet and no Twitter. But uh, it was Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin after mm-hmm. 2006. Oh, with the Giants, yeah. Every columnist in New York. And you know New York, you have to make a stir. They all wrote their own fire Tom Coughlin column. Uh, and and they really wanted Charlie Weiss. They thought Charlie, like, go do whatever you can to get Charlie. He had Weiss. almost beaten USC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charlie, because Charlie Weiss was was that was his that was his peak when mm-hmm. after the 2006 college season. Um, and 
and that that type of thing happened. And then you got Tiki Barber talking. Tiki Barber went to NBC and he had to make a mm-hmm. stir. So he had talked all sorts of crap about I, I love that part of the book where Tiki Barber just admits, hey, I was starting my TV career, so I gave yeah. up, I gave, I spilled the tea on purpose. The word, couldn't have been worse for him. Tiki Barber t- just just talking about how Coughlin just ruined his uh, football. He didn't like playing on Coughlin. Manning couldn't do any, couldn't lead. And his first year at NBC, he was covering the Super Bowl where the Giants won. <laughs> right the year after he Oops. left and then then they, on the today show they hit him up he was like it was probably like 5 a.m in 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 phoenix and they he's like congratulations tiki as if like he was a part of it oh <laughs> and, and it's just putting the knife in and twisting right there <laughs> we'll be right back after these words when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think with the book, it is a great quick read. It's it's one of those if if you're on vacation, you take it out to the pool or the beach, you're gonna finish it that day. Uh, if you wanna, if you listen, I, I I'm a person whose content is consumed on the toilet quite often, so oh, yeah. I, I I feel like I'm complimenting you here. So I hope you take it you get, in I the say spirit. You chapters in one sesh. It's a one poop at a time book. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah, three chapters in one sesh. Now the phone kind of ruined that. I was Sports Illustrated all the way back to the Sports Illustrated magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was all. Did you read it back to front like I did? Yeah, well, no. Rick Riley and then back. Oh, I would do, I would just pick the articles of things because they had a lot of stuff I didn't care about when they post about hockey or others. I definitely read, I read some of the stuff like inside the NFL type things. Yes. And uh, Rick Riley, like that's the thing I kind of did. But, uh, but that was the great one. But but phone ruined it all. I mean, there's it's a it's a lost art. Toilet well, especially when I was working at the end of the time, I was working for SI.com. They, they were embedding so many ads. Toilet reading got real tough on the phone. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, this one this one you get in hardcover form, and you can go you know one chapter at a time, one poop at a time. You it might be a leisurely poop, but it is uh it it's it's perfect. Perfectly spaced out, timed out, and it is a franchise. I'm Fred. You got to do a college football. You got to do a uh, major league baseball. Four volumes for college football, probably I could do. I, mean, I, I don't even know what I could. I don't even know what to pick for college football. Well, just just think about this. So, I th- I think back to after Mike Shula gets fired by Alabama. Remember how many people said you can't win at Alabama now? Yep. Absolutely. I mean. And everyone, uh, I I have a, a huge Jim Rome rant I wrote about a long time ago, where he was like, nobody wants to go coach there, right before Saban was hired. Nobody wants to coach there, and um, and Saban, I I can imagine was had his eye on it for a long, long time during the Dolphin season, um, and he infamously said that press conference right. thing because he was he was just getting frustrated, but but he. He had a, his eye on it for a long time, and um, because he was not enjoying himself in Miami, and uh, 
And but uh, the the reporters didn't know anything about that. And one of the things that I write at the end was a quote from somebody um, from the New York Daily News who was completely wrong about Belichick and admitted it. Um, is that the, the journalists, like at the papers and stuff, are still mostly clueless about like the 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 stuff that's actually going on the inside and what they're thinking. Like mm-hmm. the narrative about Belichick when he left the Jets after one day of coaching was that he was afraid. He didn't want to coach under uh, follow Parcells. He he he's not a head coaching personality. All this stuff, but it actually was the opposite. He he wanted control of the team. Right, right. He, he didn't want to work for a bunch of idiots yeah. when he could go have control on his own and Bob Kraft was willing to give it to him. Well, he not only wanted control, but yeah, Bill Parcells was around and was on, was going to stay on. Well, like yeah. Sort of ceremonial so you have the tuna looking over your shoulder. Right. And you do not want to have someone look, not only do you want to have someone looking over your shoulder, but you don't want to have someone looking over your shoulder who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Because that's a recipe for disaster. Um, because he's just going to critique everything you say. And so um, uh, he wanted complete control. That was it. That was the whole thing. But all the narratives about him were completely unrelated to that. And it's just like it goes to show, like with Saban and the, the Alabama, everyone was talking about how nobody wanted to coach Alabama. But I, it, it's so obvious Saban wanted to coach Alabama for a long yeah, time. He, he had a few schools on his wish list and, yeah, and now, yeah. like if they'd been open and, and yeah. you know, it, but Alabama's one, Georgia was another one, but Georgia wasn't open. Mark Rick had just won the sec. Yeah. Like that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, that, that was, you're exactly right. And I do think coverage has gotten better as time has gone on. And uh, on well, that front relationships with, I think the relationships with between like, a lot of the journalists and the coaches have improved like in terms of like they have great relationships with the coaches. Now, um, sometimes you could tell which journalist has a great relationship with this coach and you know when it's coming from that journalist, you're going to be seeing things that are positive about that person. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah but, but 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 I think that they know a lot more uh, yes. because of like um, it, because of Twitter and, and, and social media and there's so many things coming out at once. Uh, that They, they want to control the narrative more. So they're becoming a lot more uh, the relationships between the journalist and the coach are a lot better. Yeah. And, and I think the coaches have figured out, Hey, they're going to psychoanalyze me anyway. Yeah. So I should at least have a few people that I put the real stuff out to, to get it right. out there, exactly. to get it and into it, the, into the ecosystem. Yeah. So. yeah. It's, it, it, journalism will always be that way in a sense that like there's a ton of people in the mix trying to control the narrative and there's a fight for it. But uh, I think that they've realized that now Belichick doesn't care. No, the only one he doesn't care. He's one of the few that just, he does not care. Like it doesn't matter because he's, he knows what he's doing. It's going to work. Saban, Saban's very similar, although they will reach out and Saban will try to, you know, at least guide the, the talking points well, one direction or another coach you want to make sure that you're still because because of recruiting yes really trying to make sure everything but but belichick doesn't care i mean tom brady controls the belichick brady narrative because it's a one-sided fight yeah belichick yeah. doesn't do anything yeah <laughs> and look i might be if i were him i mean i might feel the same way because i'm getting paid either way like yeah, but, but 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 imagine how like 
the ego that he imagine there's some part of him that doesn't have an ego. Yeah, he doesn't care what you think. Coach, besides him, would ever allow without a fight people to think that one player did all his bidding throughout his entire career. Yeah, (laughs) no way. It is. It is amazing. And you know, you say you could do four volumes of college football. You could do ten volumes of the NFL too. Like I'm telling you, this is a whole book on the Patriots. This is a gold mine franchise that you that you've got here so uh, go out and get freezing cold takes the nfl and and i will fred i'm i'm happy to act as your research assistant if you need me (laughs) to throw you some some college football stories through the years because oh well i was a big college football fan growing up in the 90s it always was my my big sport like when i was 10 nine years old in the 90s that was my my decade yeah and um i was a huge florida fan it was before I went to Florida, but then I went, my father was a Florida alum and he trained me to be a Florida fan. So I was there for watching the Danny Werfel days. You were on that team, right? Uh, I was a tackling dummy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Those were my favorite teams. And, uh, but I can remember the Miami, I, I can remember the articles coming out when Miami was playing Alabama in 92. 92. Oh, yeah. that, yeah. I, I want to see that game. Classic, my... Jay Barker, yep. George Teague. The George T. Lamar Thomas play, which was the great play. The greatest play that never counted. It didn't count, but it did count because yeah. it allowed it, it allowed Miami had to decline the penalty. Miami had to accept the penalty. Right. 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 So it was going to be a long game um, by Lamar Thomas. But since Teague stripped him, then it was an offsides penalty or something. And they had yep. to accept the penalty. So it was really only a five-yard game. So it kind of did count in that Yeah. Part. But, I, but that 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 Alabama team, John Curry, Derek Copeland, yeah, like, the, or I mean John Co- John Copeland, Eric Curry, the the bookend defensive ends, and they were loaded. But we just assumed that Miami and Gino Toretta, and, and so my mom was an Al- was an Alabama grad, and so that was a huge night in in our house because I I bought into the whole you know white hat black hat narrative back then. I think I would have been more of a Miami fan now. Because yeah. I like I like the teams that kind of buck the system more. Yeah, and well, my, Miami was the, the team back then who were, and they can redo it now if they want to. I mean, they, uh, might. they can make it, but but now it's different because they're not going to be like universally loved by like or universally that team who's in the country. Like they'll they'll just be there's so many different. Uh, teams with narratives and everything, so it won't be as like that. But and they can't be what they were. Like well, and we also embrace that sort of behavior now, or yeah. a segment of us. Like you look at what we watch on TV, like Breaking Bad. The the hero right. is a bad guy. Like it's it's one of those things that I think the world has changed a little bit, and those Miami teams would be viewed through a different lens now. Right. Well, they're. they're I mean. A guy like Mario Cristobal is going to allow them to be cocky, but he's not going to allow them to be like Miami from the. No, no, he won't. And even though he was a player on those teams, great, different. It'll be like a different thing. But uh, uh, yeah, so but yeah, that's the team that's going to probably have the takes. Miami was playing BYU. Um, that was I remember that game completely. It was the greatest game in BYU history. If anyone, uh, even when they won the national, if anyone BYU person talks about the greatest game. It's almost likely it's going to be when they beat Miami in Provo. Well, and in the, the Penn State game where the Penn State beats them in the Fiesta Bowl for the oh, national yeah, title. Too. 
Yeah, that one. Yeah, I mean, the, the, mostly if they go on the road, they were a little bit more susceptible because they did they played a lot of their bowl games at home. Yeah, but the the Penn State one, if you want to find a a narrative of this <laughs> this is these are the good guys and these are the bad guys, like yeah, it's, it's, it's a, classic eighties newspaper columnist shtick right there. Yeah, Sandusky uh, calling the plays too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So he was masterful that game too. Yes, Masterful. yes, and and so I can't wait. So, Volume One College Football. I don't know what your publishing schedule is. I don't know how your publisher feels or if they're ready to get to work. But I want this book as soon yeah, as possible, uh, Fred. I know. I mean, like it'll be it, if, if it was what I want to do, a hundred percent want to do. Mm-hmm. It would be college football, but I, I don't even know how much this is going to sell. I have know nothing about the stats. They don't give me the stats till Tuesday. I don't even know what's going on. So well. If it, if it sells, I'm gonna tell you right now. Go, 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 go. We're gonna have a link in the description yeah. on the podcast and the YouTube page to to go buy the book. Go buy this book right now. However yeah. you want to consume it, you want hardcover, you want you want to just download it to your Kindle. However you want to do it, buy this book so that Fred will do a college football book. Yeah, I even went to Barrett Barrett Salee. He was so happy he was in it. I sent it to him in this book. He had a lot I could use, but. Uh, Stuart Mandel's in this book, by the way. Stuart Mandel. He loves ex- he, he 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 laughs about that one. Expressing Mandel. his excitement over Brandon Whedon and Trent Richardson in the same backfield. <laughs> it looks like sarcasm now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He goes, that's pretty, pretty cool. Barrett Salee had ponder. He goes, what a pick. What a steal. <laughs> Vikings. <laughs> Oh, you could do this over the draft, and you you can always do this. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, you it's, do a lot of draft stuff, but I, I kind of limit. I made the the one chapter that is an extension of my feed, where it just lists takes is the draft chapter. Well, just I, list takes, and that's it. But otherwise, it's all stories. As much as I want a college football book, I actually think a draft book might do even better. Yeah, a college football book it will do just fine. Uh, something about beginning of the season hype. Like oh. after after the first week or first two weeks, there's no bigger narrative shifting sport than college football. Oh, the Ohio State Virginia Tech game, game in 2014. Given four narratives in a season, like completely opposite narratives. By the time the season's over, yeah, uh, yeah, that one is like the, the game. Whatever game, like the, the preseason game, a team wins that game and looks mm-hmm. like an amazing team. Uh, NC State versus Tennessee in 2012. Oh, yeah. I think I was at that game. Yeah, Tennessee killed them. Yep. He had all this great stuff happening. I think Cordell returned a touchdown, and the quarterback was throwing ball bombs to to Hunter. Yep. And, uh, and NC State and, – and, and Tennessee, with the hype was huge. And they didn't understand they would have singularly one of the worst defenses. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's Michigan with with Rich Rodriguez and Florida last year. I think that 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 defense was so bad that Tennessee defense in 2012. It's it's going to be there. There's going to be so much gold for you, but and and I think you know we're seeing it now. We see it at the beginning of every season where everybody has to write there. This strength coach is the greatest strength coach. This new strength coach is the best of all time. The last guy was a pansy. Blah 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 blah, and then. All the all the the legend building around whoever the new head coach is, and within two weeks, 
they're going to be fan bases ready to fire whoever it is oh. yeah, that they just talked about. I, mean, like, I could go. I could do a whole chapter on Clemson fans in 2011. <laughs> well, I, I, I told the Clemson fan, I go, Dabo has some great, great, great material for Dabo. I, I go, the Clemson fans are equally as culpable. Uh, Absolutely. Yo, well, da- yeah. the, a Dabo chapter is something you need to do because you need when Dabo gets the interim job and everybody's like, who? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then well, and then yeah. when he's two years in and everybody's ready to fire him. Oh, God. Yeah. I think they went like seven and six one of those years. They um, they did. They, they won the division and then they had a bad year mm-hmm. offensively. So they, they, you know, and they, they wind up firing, you know, he fires Billy Napier, then he fires... Uh, Kevin Steele, the two coordinators, and he brings in Chad Morris and he brings in Brent Venables, and that's really when everything took off. Was in a little infusion of, well, of new I ideas. Dabo's always realized to me, and he, I guess, he must have realized it pretty quickly that he's his best. He's best suitable as the the guy who is running this program. It's like the CEO and just mm-hmm. leaves everything to his his handsomely paid offensive and defensive coaches to do what they have to do. Yep. And he runs the program. Um, that that's why it'll be interesting now because he got all these new coaches for them. Yeah, but, uh, that he's that he's homegrown instead of bringing them yeah, from, from outside. So, so. Uh, yeah, so that's that's yeah. I could have a chapter on him. But the thing about college football is this: in recruiting, I don't use recruiting on my feet because it's just it's all over the place. I'm not getting tagged to some guy saying that Iowa State was going to get this guy at Iowa about him. Right. I don't care. So, but with Brent Venables now as the coach of, there was all this stuff talking about how Oklahoma is going to implode with Brent Venables mm-hmm. and he's not going to, he's not going to win there. And I get tagged by a thousand Oklahoma fans. Like when a five-star recruit last week committed to them, like that's the validation. Yeah. It's that. So Brent Venables has been a great coach. He got this one five-star recruit. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> come on. Like I, you have to have the season. You have to play the whole season. I'm just playing the numbers. Like Oklahoma's always been good, with the exception of what you know, the Howard Schnellenberger, John Blake, that little period there. Uh, Other was, than that, they've always been good. So I'm gonna go with they're probably gonna be good. I was Dale Gundy was the quarterback and Justin Fuente was the quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's gonna be amazing. I I, I cannot wait. And so I, like I, I said, I, I you, would, that would be the one I would want to do the most. I mean, I don't even know. And your coaches would love to talk about that. They would absolutely love it. So everybody go buy Freezing Cold Takes NFL, and we'll make Fred do Freezing Cold Takes College yeah. Football Volume 1. Please, I'm ready. Please, you push. Push for it. Um, <laughs> I would love to do it. Uh, thanks a lot, Andy. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Fred. I, I you, You provide me... Hours and hours and hours of entertainment every season. I'm so glad that I got to read the book and uh, and just keep it up. Oh yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I can write a lot more because I enjoyed it. Not that well, many people. Everyone told me it's the worst thing in the world writing the book, and I felt the exact opposite. Well, but, I, I I'm glad you liked it because I want more of it, and yeah. I intend to give you plenty of material. So we'll we'll keep working on that. <laughs> All right, thanks, Andy.